just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries and potentially disastrous diagnoses. Today is actually one of the first in-person interviews for a little while thanks to you know what. So I'm very excited to be sitting down and chatting to Caitlin McMillan and talking about her diagnosis of achalasia. In this episode, Caitlin discusses her diagnosis journey, the symptoms she experiences, the decision to go through with surgery to her esophagus and stomach, as well as how she's navigated her mental health and what her day-to-day life looks like two years post-surgery. I also learned that achalasia is quite rare, so if you're listening and you too have been diagnosed, I'm sure Caitlin would love to hear from you. Don't be afraid to reach out. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Thank you so much for being on that Hello. so chronic today. You are in your third year of study here in Ototahi Christchurch. You're studying a BA in Media and Communications and Cultural Studies, which is so exciting. You are almost finished this degree, aren't yep. you? Yeah, yeah, finish hopefully November, December, yeah. Exciting. <laughs> Do you think that you'll carry on studying or? Yeah, looking at Masters currently in communications but not entirely sure yet I'm so excited I love finding out what everyone's studying and why they're studying and what they want to do like I just find it so interesting absolutely (laughs) but the reason why I mentioned that you have been studying is that all throughout your study and especially at the beginning of your study you have also been living with a diagnosis of achalasia yeah now I'm not going to lie to you I really didn't know much about this condition until we connected. No one does. (laughs) (laughs) So if someone's listening and they also haven't heard of it before, how would you describe what achalasia is? So it's basically the esophagus can't move on its own. Like it has motility issues. So you can't get, it's not strong enough to get food into the stomach. Mm -hmm. So often food will just sit in the esophagus, can get really bad reflux issues and they call esophagus spasms as well because it can't do the thing it's meant to do. Yeah. But yeah, so food can often come up. The esophagus doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a pretty essential part of the whole process, yes. isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty it was pretty scary at first because it feels like how I describe it, it's like food has gotten lodged in my chest. Yeah. And it's like a rock that I can't move. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's when food comes up when you've been lying down, it's pretty scary as well. Because it's essentially like you're choking just yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Do they know why this happens to um, a person? I don't think so. Yeah. I think there was some research into it being related to like trauma of the esophagus, but I have no idea. It just yeah. happens. The esophagus just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I'm assuming that diagnosis isn't as simple as just going to a doctor and then being like, all right, immediately this is what it is. (laughs) No, it was pretty hard. Talk us through how the diagnosis happened for you. Okay, so I started getting reflux when I was probably about 18. Mm -hmm. Um, 
17, 18, didn't really think much of it. And I started losing weight in the final year of high school. And then I went into my gap year in 2019 and I was losing weight, couldn't get, when I was eating, couldn't get food to go into my stomach Mm. and felt like I was choking a lot. And by choking, yeah, it just means like it was just getting lodged, not like I was, yeah, getting suffocated, but just sticking in my esophagus. Mm -hmm. And then I'd lie down and food would come up or like bile or anything like that. I had no idea what was happening. So yeah, after a few months of losing weight pretty rapidly and not being able to eat a normal amount of food, we went to the doctors and the doctor said that I should drink water while I eat and eat smaller bites. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So I was pretty, pretty annoyed about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I went home and was like, great. Okay. I guess I'll just keep going like this for a while. It kept getting worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I was getting as I mentioned before, you can get esophagus spasms and how I described that and same with really bad reflux. It's like a burning iron rod is being shoved down your throat and just like sitting and then your esophagus is trying to just move, but it can't do it. And so went back to the doctor with my mum and she was like, look, her grandmother just passed away last year of esophagus cancer. Please, can we get a referral to the hospital? Like we don't think it's cancer, but... With, like, some tests yeah. or something. Yeah. Because, like, this isn't normal. Like, yeah. eating food should just be happening. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, you shouldn't struggle that much to even just, like, get it down. Exactly. It wasn't like a I was making it up or anything. It was no. a physical thing. So, yeah, we got a referral to the hospital. Who do you get referred to at a hospital for something like this? Is there, like, a specialist in yeah. IST? <laughs> a GIST? You know how everyone always There's, has IST at the name of yeah. their names? I think it was a gastroenterologist oh yes I want to say gastroenterologist yeah there you go yeah so I went to the gastro area people and there aren't any specialists in New Zealand that I'm aware of in like achalasia or anything like that yeah so it's kind of just go and see the gastro people and hope for the best yeah hope that they've got like a little bit of interest in it and have done some reading or something yeah yeah so yeah went and got referred had an appointment with them and I think just described all of my symptoms and then oh yes I had a gastroscopy endoscopy okay Okay. whatever the thing where you get put to sleep and they look in your stomach Mm -hmm. I had one of those and because we thought it could have been celiac before anything we didn't know much about anything yeah and yeah so I woke up and they were like "Mm, we don't know what it is still okay and I heard someone a bit over their nurse told them that they had celiac and I was like well you would have told me if it was celiac so obviously it's not that I'll move on then yeah yeah and they they had no idea and they I remember they asked if I wanted a sandwich and some jelly and I was like or yogurt and I was like can I have the yogurt because at least I know that'll probably get down somehow yeah and I remember my throat was sore for days Mm -hmm. after having a tube shoved down it and then I think after that they referred us back to the gastroenterologist Mm -hmm. and they I think booked me in for a few more tests I can't remember how but they still didn't know what was happening and I went and had a test I don't remember the name of but I had to swallow this like chalky liquid okay and stand in front of an x-ray machine oh wow yeah and so they just had it like hovering over my torso yeah and I had to swallow this 
disgusting liquid and it was like I guess not radioactive but it came up in the x-ray yeah and so they could see how it was moving through my esophagus okay so I think I stood there for a wee while and they watched as it just was building up in my esophagus oh. and you could see that my esophagus was dilated trying yeah. to hold the liquid and they're like ah I think I see what the issue is here and then so yeah came off off the machine and they were like we think it could be achalasia, it most likely is, but you have to get like another test to get properly diagnosed. I think it might have been two more tests okay. before they can diagnose you for surgery or next treatments. Mm-hmm. And so did that, took ages to get a referral back to the same specialist, gastro specialist person. Okay. And then had, I think I had, there was one test at the start of 2020. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was now. And then they were like, okay, we've got another test. It's a huge wait list for it, though. So it'll be a few months away. Okay. And I think I was booked to get it in probably March of 2020. Oh, and no. Then, yeah. <laughs> and then so COVID hit. We went into lockdown and they were like, ah, too bad. We'll reschedule you when we know what's happening again. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. And at this time, I also had bronchitis because the fluid that was coming up from my stomach was getting into my lungs. Mm -hmm. So I was getting pretty sick and had lost a lot of weight, was eating maybe one meal a day. Like it was very not good. And this Um, was quite a long period of time since you started, since you first ever went to the GP about it. Yeah. This is like over six months, right? Yeah. Wow. I probably went to the GP, I want to say middle-ish closer to the start of 2019 mm-hmm. and then halfway through got referred to the hospital then probably went to the specialists at the hospital and I want to say November or December okay. of 2019 wow so it took quite a few months to get anything yeah. going and then to still be told oh no you still have to wait yeah longer yeah yeah also during 2019 I was having an allergic reaction to medication that I didn't know was an allergic reaction okay I was having they call it Stephen Johnson syndrome. Okay. And basically my doctor said that when I went in after the worst one, he was like, if you'd come in a few days earlier, I would have sent you to the hospital because your organs would have been shutting down. <gasps> so amidst trying to get diagnosed with achalasia, I was just ruining my yeah. body with this medication. Now I'm not allowed to take any of that family of medication yeah. anymore. And were you taking that medication for these symptoms? It was for cramps. Yeah. So I was breaking out and like... Oh my god. Ulcers and cold sores everywhere and then yeah, I was twenty nineteen was not a fun time. <laughs> yeah, and it's supposed to be your gap year as yeah, it was well. My gap year. I was working full time and trying to go to yeah. work while this was happening and I was like, Oh my god. So yeah, finally in yeah, so my test to get diagnosed was meant to be in March of twenty twenty. Lockdown happened and then I think I went for it in I wanna say May or June. Okay. And that was called a manometry mm-hmm. and Basically, they, similar to the endoscopy, they shove a tube down your throat, except you're awake for it, and you have to drink this other horrible tasting liquid and swallow so they can see how your esophagus is moving, or like not moving, basically. So it was a tube that went all the way down into my stomach, 
and in a room full of doctors I had to swallow this liquid and at the same time was gagging so everything was coming up yeah and they told me I think I couldn't eat or drink water for 12 hours before because there would have been too much left in there yeah yeah and I can vividly remember it still being like food from the day before which is sorry to the people listening but it's pretty graphic (laughs) and pretty concerning as well yeah yeah and I just I remember being so freaked out and they wouldn't let my mum be in there with me because it was such a oh I think it was because it was so invasive they didn't want her getting stressed out because I was sitting there with a tube down my throat vomiting um but I think there were about three or four nurses and doctors in the room with me and yeah and then got the results from that back and they told me I had achalasia I can't remember which type I have but there's three different types okay and yeah so that was the route to get diagnosed wow (laughs) yeah so Basically over a year yeah. to get a diagnosis. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I can't help but think back to the just drink water and take smaller bites. Yes, I'm not no longer at that GP. Uh, I moved on because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Was there any sort of treatment plan that you were able to then, I guess, activate once you've got the yeah. diagnosis? So I think there's three or four options for people with achalasia. The one that I had was a surgery on my stomach and esophagus. Okay. I can't remember the name of it now. Is it myotomy by any chance? Yes, <laughs> it is that one, yeah. <laughs> I have done some Googling. <laughs> yeah, and they also did an extra, like they called it a wrap to try and minimize my acid reflux as well. Okay. Because they essentially took, there's like a flap at the top of your stomach that stops, it's meant to stop food and acid coming huh. back up. Or it's, yeah, there's something in there that's yeah. meant to stop all that kind of stuff. But because of the surgery, they'd take that away. And then so they had to do some other things to try and minimize me getting reflux because I didn't have the natural ways of stopping reflux anymore. It's so um, fascinating what people can do. Yeah, it's crazy. But yeah, I think there's there was also an option of getting Botox in your esophagus. Oh, okay. I can't remember how, but it just like revitalizes basically the esophagus movement and helps it do its thing. But yeah, they said that because I was so young that that surgery would be the best option for me for long-term help. But basically for the rest of my life, I'm going to suffer with this and have to have ongoing treatment potentially. Okay. So the surgery wasn't going to guarantee that the yeah. symptoms would stay away. Yeah. My acid reflux stayed back for about, I want to say, just under a year maybe. But now it's back better than mm-hmm. ever. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. It's my mortal enemy. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of other surgeries that you can do for it. But it doesn't often happen in young people. It's more common in older people. So a lot of the treatments are for older people who have also dealt with it for a, a lot longer. Okay. So yeah, I think I was pretty fortunate to have caught it young and quickly yeah even if it was over a year (laughs) how like how long was the recovery process after this surgery it was so much fun (laughs) um I was on for the first week a completely liquid diet okay so just protein shakes and soup yeah or I think it might have only been a few days and then it was like very soft foods like just about liquid food yeah so I was eating mashed potatoes and hummus for like a week because I I hate soup with a raging passion <laughs> like even before I was diagnosed and had surgery I hate soup interesting have so, you like always hated soup for as long as I can remember I hate soup I wonder what it is about soup. I know I <laughs> I like pumpkin soup and I'll have chicken noodle soup so I okay. think I had a bit of 
pumpkin soup and like chicken and corn. Okay. That was the only one yeah. that I would let mum make. I was like, And no. that's at a push. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I would rather eat a tub of hummus yeah. than a thing of soup. Wow. Um, oh, and mum made very good potato and gravy because, yeah, that was the food of choice. Love that. And then I had to be on, I think still soft foods, but like I could eat like a meal. So it was just, just nothing like crunchy. Couldn't yeah. eat chips for like a month. Oh. And I loved potato chips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't eat anything crunchy for like a month. And yeah. And I was recommended that I think I stayed off work and uni for a few weeks. And I went back to uni after a week because I didn't want to miss out on any more. Because I, yeah, I remember saying to mum, I was like, no, I can go back. I can go back. And she was yeah. like, you cannot. It's only been a week. This is like abdominal surgery. And I still went back. And I was drinking, I tried up and go for the first time at uni and I hated it. Mm-hmm. And so I had to take like protein shakes and mashed potatoes with me to Aww. uni and eat it in the <laughs> undercroft. So that was fun. I was going to ask how uni went during all of this time and how you kept on top of things when you're young, when it's your first year at university and you're also dealing with this yeah. pretty major diagnosis and a surgery. How did you navigate uni? I don't think I treated it any differently the only interruption to my first year was I think lockdowns and I was so annoyed but otherwise I just kept doing things like it was normal and I was like I not in like a stoic like I don't want to let it stop me but just sort of like well this is the way it is so I'll just keep doing it did you tell anyone at uni I think I may have told my close like my closest friends at the time Mm -hmm. um that I'd had surgery but I didn't I didn't like explaining everything to everyone because it's quite like, not graphic, but it's not a very pleasant thing. Yeah. And I think I was still probably like grappling with it and like I don't like, well, didn't like eating in front of people. Yeah. So I just didn't like really talking about it, but I told people that I'd had surgery and yeah. And then I came back and they were like, what are you doing here? Yeah. You had surgery a week ago. What's wrong (laughs) with you? And that was in July of 2020. Okay. So I think my second semester was pretty much uninterrupted. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty good. (laughs) Incredible. And you didn't even, did you tell your lecturers or anyone about it? I don't think so. That's incredible. Yeah. I think I just kept, I may have gotten an extension on like one assignment because I was like, I um, am loopy. Yeah. I cannot (laughs) sit here and do the assignment. I think I, it was after the surgery though. I was like, I was trying to do it and I was like, I can't do this. I'm on so many drugs. And I emailed the lecturer like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Yeah. (laughs) Before we carry on with the interview, I wanted to quickly jump in and say thanks for listening and supporting the work here at That's So Chronic. If you're new here, you might not know that it kind of is just me making everything happen. So every rating and review on Apple Podcast, every click of the five-star button on Spotify, and especially those follows, do not go unnoticed. They really help the algorithm so more people can find That's So Chronic. So again... A big thank you. All right, back to the interview. And so with the recovery of the surgery, did you notice relief of the symptoms? Yes, I can still very like strongly remember the feeling of when I was in the recovery room after having the surgery, they came and they gave me a lemonade ice block and that was all I was allowed to have. Yeah. And I sat there sleepy as like so groggy eating this lemonade ice block and I just felt it go straight (gasps) down and I was like 
this is how normal people eat. Yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. Because even with water, even now, like I still, if I have more than like one sip, I have to force it to go down. I have to make my yeah. esophagus move. So it was amazing to just let it do its thing. And then even though hospital food is not amazing, mm-hmm. the next few days, well, the next night in the hospital when I was eating my dinner, which was like meat puree and <laughs> gravy and jelly, it was still awesome because I was like oh but it's going in yeah I don't have to like force it this is awesome yeah and so for a quite a while I could get things down without much trouble but Mm -hmm. yeah incredible that must be such an amazing feeling it was so awesome because I hadn't been dealing with it for that long but it was still long enough to forget how normal eating happened like Mm -hmm. when I was like thinking back to when I was younger I couldn't even imagine the feeling because you don't think about it when you can just eat you're not thinking about not being able to eat, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And what about the acid reflux? That, yeah, went away for quite a while. And then it came back pretty, I think, gradually. Okay. And I take medication every day for it because that's the only thing that keeps it at bay. Um, but I, ha- I avoid certain foods because it makes it worse. Okay. So I can't have sriracha or mm-hmm. pineapple juice. Oh, Because instantly I'll just be in so much pain. Okay. Yeah. Pineapple juice. Where does that come up? Pina coladas, is it? Yes. <laughs> I actually made cocktails for a friend and I for her birthday a few weeks ago. And then the next day at work, I was in so much pain and I couldn't figure out why. I was like, what did I do? Like, I'm always yeah. so careful. I thought that would be fine. And then I was like, put pineapple juice in the cocktails. Oh, no. You egg. <laughs> And so you mentioned before that even now, if you do take like a big sip of water, you do have to sort of yeah. help it go through. When did, like, how long did you have relief from that until that sort of kicked back in again? It's actually quite hard to remember. I Because I guess it's like two two years post-surgery yeah. now. Yeah. Um, I want to say it was quite a while, but again, because I, I guess I wasn't really thinking about yeah. it. I can't quite remember. And then I just know that for the past, I want to say year or so, Oh, maybe not a year, about a year. Yeah. It's been coming back slowly and I have to still um, like force my food down. Mm -hmm. It doesn't come up like at all. It stays down once it's down, but it's just the esophagus doesn't move on its own. So I have to force it to move. And yeah, when it was really bad and sometimes now I have to drink any kind of fizzy drink with every big meal. Okay. I remember going to the dentist and they said to me, they're like, oh, your teeth are like bad because like, what do you, do you drink a lot of fizzy drink? And I was like, yeah, I drink Coke just about every day. And they're like, you can't do that. And I was like, well, no, yeah, I, I will be doing it. <laughs> um, here's my story. And then I remember crying in the dentist office and she was like, it's okay. <laughs> um, just brush your teeth. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about yeah. soda water? Would that do... Oh, I don't like soda water. That's fair. <laughs> I'm terrible. I love sugary things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I do as well. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no judgment here at all. No. <laughs> when you were diagnosed with achalasia, achalasia. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard one to say. <laughs> it is. And when I, I was mentioning to Caitlin before, before we started recording, that I was Googling how to pronounce it and there was just all these different ways. <laughs> yeah. But when you were diagnosed... Did you know anybody else that had also been diagnosed? I had not heard of it before. And yeah, they reckon only about 30 to 40 people in Aotearoa have achalasia. Wow. So I think they say it's about as rare as one in 100,000, roughly, Mm -hmm. maybe a little more common than that. But that was the last time 
I spoke to a specialist about it. But yeah, I joined quite a few Facebook support groups to be like, hello, Yeah, I just got diagnosed with this. What, like, ah, yeah. how do I join, like, communities? There's one Facebook group, which is Australia and New Zealand okay. support group combined. Mm-hmm. And then there's one that's like, it's an international one. So just tons of people from around the world are all in it. And you hear lots of different stories about a lot of the people are from America. So you hear a lot of like, they're going to the Mayo Clinic and yeah. all that kind of thing. Where I think the Mayo Clinic is the best clinic for achalasia or something like that. That's interesting that you should say that because <laughs> when I've got written down my research, it all came from the Mayo Clinic yeah. website. Yeah. yeah, I think they're the best that I know of. But yeah, it's quite interesting. You'll see people start with, hi, I'm this person from this country and this is what's happening here with my doctors and these doctors don't know anything about it. And yeah, yeah. So that was pretty crazy to see. How does it feel being able to connect with people that can sort of understand what you've been going through? It was quite nice to feel a bit more normal because mm-hmm. when I'd explain it to people, they'd be like, oh, that sounds terrible and yeah. I've never heard of anything like that. And I was like, no, you wouldn't have. No. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. But yeah, it was really nice to put a post up or look at other people's posts and they'd yeah. be like, this is the symptom that I'm having. Does anyone have any tips to deal with it? Mm-hmm. Like esophagus spasms that say drink, I think like peppermint tea because that's a muscle relaxer and different sort of tips for managing your symptoms or just people would be like, I'm feeling so like heavy or at a loss with this disease. Yeah. How's everyone else doing kind of thing. It was nice to see everyone rallying to just support each other because it is such a small community. How has your mental health been throughout all of this? I would say it was pretty bad like sort of doom and gloom when I first got diagnosed because it was very much like oh this this is chronic this is lifelong I'm gonna have to keep dealing with this forever and it was (laughs) like the thought of never being able to eat normally again I was like oh my god that is just crazy yeah Um, but I I deal with it a lot more now because all of the people in my life are very supportive and they're very much like, it'll be funny, we'll go out for dinner or something like that and when I eat, I'll be drinking my thing and I always have to do a wee jig around to sort of like, if I'm especially in like high-waisted jeans or sitting with bad posture, I'll have to sit up and just be like, okay, stretch and move around. And my friends always go, are you okay? Yeah. Is everything all right? Are you doing okay? But they, they don't do it like, they don't gush, they just go, it's everything all right. Yeah. Very quietly and politely. And especially my partner, he's very supportive. He makes me feel very normal. Like, yeah. just, it's just, Caitlin eats a bit funny because <laughs> I burp a lot. Okay. <laughs> so I used to be very like awkward and apologetic about it, but now it's just like, oh, yeah. most of the people around me know about it. And if you don't get over it, yeah, like this is just the way I have to live. So just deal with it for an hour or however long I'm sitting here with you. Like it's yeah. no biggie. But yeah, I just sort of kind of adapted the mindset of like, well, it's, it doesn't need to like halt everything. If mm-hmm. I keep being sad about being chronically ill, then what's going to come of it? Like nothing. Yeah. Might as well just keep moving on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have there ever been any moments where you've just sort of sat there and gone, oh, why does this have to happen to me? Yeah. Most recently, there was a few weeks ago where I was for a basically just like a whole week my reflux was really bad and Mm -hmm. I was I remember being at work and just going out into the back room and crying my eyes out because I was in so much pain and because like 
it's not so bad when I'm in pain at home because you're comfortable and yeah. you can normally calm yourself down. But at work, because I work at Starbucks making coffees, it's very high paced and I yeah. can't exactly walk away every five seconds to yeah. calm myself down. So you get very stressed out, which then probably exacerbates it. And yeah, so I had about a week of just feeling terrible and I was really struggling to like find the motivation to eat because every time I was eating it would hurt especially after really bad bouts of reflux my esophagus will just like hurt when I eat yeah and then it makes it feel like there's more reflux or it's spasming or it's doing something that it shouldn't so for about a week I was just very like why does this have to happen to me yeah (laughs) yeah so it does sound like this is a journey and yeah. it is a process. Definitely. <laughs> is there a sense of what the future will look like? Like, do you have many check-ins with the gastroenterologist or like any talk of what might happen in the future? No, actually. Yeah. I, after my surgery, had, I think, just the like post-op check-in. Okay. I think I maybe had two of them and that was it. And I've been sent on my merry way since. Okay. So I think it's just sort of a... When symptoms are bad, go to the GP and say, hey, I'm having these issues or yada, yada. Um, And if I am concerned, probably just getting referred back to the specialists again. But for the most part, I haven't had any, yeah, any reason to check in with anyone. Oh. Yeah. Well, that's good then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On a day-to-day, what would your symptoms look like? Or how do you manage this condition? I... Well, every day I wake up and I take my imeprazole acid reflux medication mm-hmm. every morning and every night. And I have a pretty, I want to say broken eating schedule. Okay. So like I'm still not in a very like, I don't have a very good rhythm okay. of making sure I've like eaten enough for the day. So I mm-hmm. tend to fluctuate each day. But yeah, I'll... I always carry around my emotional support water love bottle. That. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great colour as well. I love a bit of purple. <laughs> yeah. That goes everywhere with me. And so with everything I eat, I'll try and drink water. If it's something a lot heavier or denser, mm-hmm. I'll normally try and get in a fizzy drink. Okay. Because it's something about if I eat something, I can't get it down on its own without pushing it down with like water. Okay, yeah. So I can't just like make it go down it sort of has to like be pushed down by a liquid Mm -hmm. coca-cola is really good for doing that i used Mm -hmm. to drink a lot of coke but yeah that's about all my day-to-day is i drink just a lot of water to make sure i'm staying hydrated and that my reflux stays at bay and yeah just with every meal drink a lot of water (laughs) yeah like you said earlier in the interview when you were first diagnosed you didn't really tell people what was going on what inspired you to share your story publicly I guess today with me and with everybody listening I have been thinking about that for the past few days actually and I couldn't (laughs) figure out why you're like why why am I going yeah (laughs) I was like I don't like I'm not a necessarily private person I talk a million miles a minute I Mm -hmm. tell everyone everything I'm a very chatty person but yeah I think listening to other episodes it was quite inspiring to hear about these other illnesses that I've never heard of before and people sharing their stories. And it's not because it's like a woe is me. It's more just like a here's something you didn't know yeah. and here's someone who has dealt with it firsthand telling you. Yeah. And yeah, it would be, be cool for more people in my life to know about achalasia and to have more understanding about different illnesses like that. But yeah, because there's not a lot of like research or anything on it. So yeah, why not share my story? And someone might listen and 
want to meet up. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And in a way, I haven't told you this, but you've also made already quite a big impact on someone's life. I've got someone in my family who's been going through a lot of stuff that they don't really know what's going on for them with acid reflux and some issues with eating as well. So even oh, wow. just being able to connect with you so I could pass on and be like, I'm yeah. interviewing this person with this condition, like perhaps read up about that and yeah. like take it to your GP has also been definitely amazing. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm very honored <laughs> to have helped someone potentially. Yeah. If you could go back to Caitlin, who is in that year where there is no diagnosis, can hardly keep food down and is I imagine feeling quite alone. If you could go back to that time and say something to yourself, would you say anything? I'd probably say that it's okay. Yeah. And life still goes on. But yeah, as long as you surround yourself with like supporting people and a really good support network, everything, like you could take on the world and it would feel fine. Yeah. I think that's it. It's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yay. It truly means the world to me that people choose me and That's So Chronic to share their stories. It takes a lot to share your story. So again, a big thank you to Caitlin. Of course, none of this would be possible without your support. So a huge thank you to you for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. I was actually quite nervous for this interview as I was just a guest lecturer for one of Caitlin's classes at uni recently. So I hope I did an okay job and lived up to the two hours I spent talking about the show and interview techniques. Anyway, if you want to reach out, I would love to hear from you. I'm at That's So Chronic on Instagram and TikTok. I hope you have a lovely week and I'll see you next time.